When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to 365 Days with MXM Tune. I'm Maya, a singer, songwriter, video maker, Oakland native, and a moviegoer. I'm also a huge fan of history. I love untold stories, gross facts, hidden secrets, and anything weird, dark, and funky from the past. Each day I'm going to share one of my favorite deep cuts with you, so let's take a look at today's story. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so don't leave too soon. I'm gonna teach you stuff, no, it won't be tough. Gonna go a year till you've had enough. It's 365. On this day in 1957, Shelton Jackson Lee was born in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, you might know him as Spike Lee, the Emmy and Oscar-winning filmmaker behind showstoppers like The Black Klansman, Do the Right Thing, She's Gotta Have It, To Five Bloods, and more. So let's look back on Spike Lee's life and influence in American cinema. Growing up, Spike Lee was surrounded by the arts. His mother taught black literature and art, and his father is a jazz musician and a composer, who now often collaborates with his son on the scores for films. His mom gave him the nickname Spike as a child because he was tough, and when he was a toddler, the family moved to Brooklyn, New York. Spike Lee would return to Atlanta to attend the historically black college Morehouse, then settled in New York again to earn his Master of Fine Arts in Film and TV from NYU. When Spike Lee was just 22 years old, he founded the film company that he still runs today in Brooklyn called 40 Acres and a Mule. Filmworks. This name refers to a policy enacted after the American Civil War, when some emancipated former slaves in Georgia were given 40 acres of land and a mule as an attempt at reparations. But President Andrew Johnson revoked the order and took this land away from Black families. So the name of Lee's film company is emblematic of the long history of brutal racism in the U.S. This name is fitting because throughout his career, Lee has used his art to tell Black stories. He made groundbreaking strides to carve out a space in the whitewashed Hollywood industry to spark conversations about race relations. Lee released his first film, She's Gotta Have It, in 1986, which he directed, wrote, and produced, and edited, and even acted in. The film stars Tracy Camilla Jones as a young artist in Fort Greene, Brooklyn, who juggles three suitors who don't know about each other. She's Gotta Have It launched Lee's career and was beloved by audiences for centering a black woman's experience in a sex-positive story. The New York Times selected it as a critic's pick, noting that the shoestring production budget of $175,000 is smaller than the budgets of some TV commercials. In 2017, he created a TV show for Netflix based off of his debut, though it was canceled after two seasons, much to fans' dismay. One of Spike Lee's most iconic films came just years later in 1989, a comedy drama about the rising racial tension in a Brooklyn neighborhood. Do the Right Thing is regularly named as one of the greatest films of all time, featuring actors like Danny Aiello and Samuel L. Jackson. Despite his early success, Lee still faced racism in the film community. 
When Do the Right Thing premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, journalists fretted that the film might incite riots. Of course, it didn't. Lee found this nervous reaction to the film insulting. Still, he would continue to make films about Black experiences, including a three-hour-long Malcolm X biopic in 1992, which starred Denzel Washington as the influential activist. Any artist knows that awards aren't everything. But after 30 years of producing a prolific filmography of critically acclaimed work, Lee still hadn't won an Oscar. In 2018, he released Black Klansman, which, again, he directed, produced, and wrote. The movie is based on the memoir of Ron Stallworth, a black man who infiltrated the white supremacist Ku Klux Klan, featuring Adam Driver and John David Washington, son of Denzel. Black Klansman was one of the most beloved films of the year. With six nominations that year, Spike Lee arrived on the Oscars red carpet wearing shiny gold Jordans and a show-stopping purple suit in honor of Prince. Needless to say, Spike Lee did slay the red carpet that night, but he also won his long-awaited first Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay. Lee is just as opinionated off-screen as he is on-screen. A super fan of the NBA team, the New York Knicks, Lee could often be found sitting courtside at Madison Square Garden in bright orange or blue glasses to match the team's colors. But in early March of 2020, Spike Lee was thrown out of the game for using the wrong elevator to get to his seats. For over 20 years as a season ticket holder, Spike Lee used the employee entrance to get to his seat. But after the arena CEO asked him to use the celebrity entrance two blocks away, conflict ensued. Videos circulated across social media of a shouting match between Lee and security guards. All in all, the incident paled in comparison to the global concerns that would arise just weeks later in 2020. But still, who knows if we'll see Spike back at MSG in the future. As we celebrate his 64th birthday, Spike Lee continues to churn out new feature films at an impressive speed. His most recent film, The Five Bloods, was released by Netflix in June 2020, and it was the last film that the beloved Black Panther star Chadwick Boseman appeared in before dying of colon cancer two months later. Spike Lee's groundbreaking work continues to inspire a generation of filmmakers, and it'll be exciting to see what he does next. Now let's talk about music. On this day in 2015, the series finale of Glee aired on Fox, titled Dreams Come True. This episode marked the end of the Ryan Murphy show's six-year run, and during that time, the show aired over 700 musical performances, including pop hits, show tunes, mashups, and even a few original songs. As early as 2009, the Glee cast had 25 singles on the Billboard Hot 100 at once, a feat topped only by the Beatles, who had 31 songs on the chart in 1964. Some critics found the peppy covers to be cheesy, others appreciated how Glee introduced young people to older artists who they might not otherwise have encountered. But beyond the music, Glee was notable for being one of the earliest primetime TV shows to feature queer characters and relationships. Plus, the musical comedy drama helped launch the careers of gems like Darren Criss, Leah Michelle, and Jane Lynch. Sure, the show can be cringy at times, but it's also a lot of fun. And now for our final segment of the day, I'm going to look back on my life and talk about something that is actually really tied into our music fact of today. So back in March of 2018, it's it's not specifically the date of today, of March 20th, but I was working on this project at that point. I wrote an essay about Glee, and it was kind of, um, it was my senior essay for high school. Um, it was a part of a last project for my ethnic studies um, class, and 
I did kind of choose it so that way I could like watch Glee and write an essay about it, but you know, that's beside the point. Basically, I wrote an essay about how shows like Glee, despite being a step towards accurate representation and increased diversification of voices and stories and media, also was really problematic for young people who are watching it because, you know, in retrospect, Glee has a lot of problematic tropes of racism and sexism and a lot of other things. But one of the things I pinpointed was talking about how having adult actors playing high schoolers can be really damaging to body image and what young people who are watching these shows think of themselves when they're taking in the images of fully grown adults that are supposed to be in their place necessarily. So I wrote a whole essay about that, and I still really stand by that. I think that we, I think that we are living in an age of media where a lot of the things that we are experiencing and consuming as audience members should always be looked at from a critical lens of asking ourselves how we can do things better. Even with shows like Euphoria, which deal with mental health and trying to showcase different kinds of people and stories on a big screen and on TV even those can still have a lot of areas for growth. And looking at a show like Riverdale, where the entire cast is, again, fully grown adults that are just overly sexualized in a context of high school, which is not what high school is like for every single person. So less of a specific fun fact, but more of something that I feel very passionate about. But I think it's always important we criticize the media we consume. Thanks for going back in time with me and remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and you can come back tomorrow for more stories from yesteryear. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so don't leave too soon. I'm gonna teach you stuff, no it won't be tough. Gonna go a year till you've had enough. It's three-